0: This is CleanTech Talk, Clean Technica's podcast series interviewing Cleantech leaders from around the world.
1: This episode is sponsored by
0: Ideanomics. Ideanomics is a global company driving mobile energy transformation and the green fintech revolution. It combines deal origination and enablement with the application of technologies such as artificial intelligence and blockchain. We're here with Alf Poor, CEO of Ideanomics, for another Clean Tech Talk podcast. We had a lot of fun talking with Alf previously about uh, various topics related to the EV revolution. Uh, but today's topic, I think, is a particularly fun and obscure one uh, that we don't talk that we don't deal with a lot. It's uh, electrification of the mining industry. And um, just to be clear, since we've had some other podcasts recently on on uh, mining the minerals necessary for EV batteries. This is not about that. This is actually just about electrifying vehicles that do mining um, and mining processes. So Alf, since I'm really a, a noob when it comes to this topic, I'll let you s- sort of start us off, get, get an intro on what's going on in electrification and mining uh, today.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Zachary, and good to be back on the show again. Um, yeah, the, the mining industry for us is... Uh, is a really interesting area. It forms part of what will be the most testing part of the EV uh, industry, which is heavy trucks. Not just talking about the long distance stuff, you see the Nikolas and the Teslas trying to penetrate. I'm talking about the types of vehicles you don't often see. The ones that are, are in open faced and closed faced mines, uh, the ones that are being used in steel mills, in airports and in, uh, in seaports and shipping as well. The ones that do the really, really heavy lifting. The reason that that this is a particularly interesting area um, for EV at this time is that there's only diesel trucks can produce the torque that is required to move the weight that either is coming from aggregate and slag coming out of of mines or moving multiple containers to load them onto ships um, or moving huge amounts of steel, uh, steel mills, et cetera. Um, At the moment, the types of vehicles that are done, they're like something out of the movie Avatar, you remember the, uh, the original movie with the size of the, uh, the equipment that they were using to, to strip resources from that planet. Um, that's a little exaggerated compared to what we use, but the size of these trucks is, is exponentially bigger than what you see on the road. And the interesting part of that is um, the amount of torque that's required for them to pull the weight that they do means that they some of them do as little as one and a half uh, miles to a gallon of diesel. So it's incredible amount of energy is used, and whenever you use that amount of energy, obviously you're you're increasing the amount of contaminants and, and pollution that you're putting into the air. And uh, we did a really interesting uh, case study in an otherwise pristine natural area in China, which is the, uh, the province of Inner Mongolia, uh, one of the most um, rich sources of natural resources anywhere in the world, particularly for a lot of the my, uh, minerals and metals that are required in EV and, and modern technology, cell phones, etc. Um, but also one of the, you know, not, not a heavily populated area either. And so we undertook a, a study with um, with one of the local truck companies, Bayvan, uh, with CATL and with a number of the mining companies and the province of, uh, of Inner Mongolia with the governor's permission to see what we could do to help them tackle the problem. And it, the... the to give you kind of a sense of, of what they're looking at, um, Inner Mongolia is, is like going to Colorado in the U.S. Okay, it's mostly pristine. This is open fields and plains where um, China's horses, the thoroughbred horses, are produced, and where the world's highest grade Kashmir is made from the goats that, that live on those windy plains as well. So. The province has got a, got a little bit of a dilemma, which is, OK, we're very, very rich in natural resources, which are very valuable to us. Um, but at the same time, we rely heavily on tourism and we rely heavily on our natural pristine environment for other industries as well. So in recent years, they've been uh, limiting or not expanding the amount of mining activity that goes on in Mongolia uh, because they don't want to um, hurt what is, like I said, a very pristine natural environment that they have. So the environmental lobby in, in China is quite strong at this time. They have a, what they call a blue skies initiative, meaning they'd like to see the blue skies in some of their cities. Um, and, and you know, for Inner Mongolia as well, this is a microcosm of, of a much bigger problem that, that EV can help in terms of the environment. And um, just to give you some, some statistics that came out of this study, uh, there's a lot of mining activity takes place in, in Inner Mongolia. Um, the heavy trucks that, that help the mining industry make up about 3% of all vehicles on the road in Inner Mongolia. Okay, but they're responsible for between 18 and 60% of four major pollutants. So they put out 18% of the carbon monoxide, 23% of the hydrocarbons, 53% of the nitrous oxides, and then about 60% of all the, uh, the particle matter the airborne pollutants that go into the environment. So you can imagine that just 3% of the vehicles are producing almost all of the uh, all of, you know, a good size chunk of all of the pollution that comes out of running those high torque, um, you know, industrial diesel vehicles. And
0: yeah, 3% of the market, that's 60% of, of what was it? The, the last
1: one was uh, the, the micro pollutants that are in the atmosphere. So it's just uh, an
0: enormous amount of yeah, potential for, for cutting emissions.
1: Yeah, so so the scale of the, the heavy, you know, use of the heavy trucks there is obviously high because they have a lot of mining activity, but they've kept from expanding their mining activities because they don't want to add to this pollution problem. And this is where EV can play a really important role. So, you know, we know that if we convert the heavy trucks in the region there to electric vehicles, uh, that would reduce the overall contamination in Inner Mongolia in their atmosphere by seventy-six percent, and so that's the equivalent of taking about thirty-six million internal combustion engine passenger cars off the road.
0: So, so my question with this, I I agree the the vehicles are just. Um they don't look real when you see pictures of them. Uh, they're so gigantic, you know, they look like they're Photoshopped or something, especially if you see a human standing next to one, uh, or something else for scale, but they're just these giant ginormous, uh, vehicles. Um, and we've had articles, I, I don't remember. The first one was probably four or five years ago or something about the, the largest electric vehicle or the, the largest truck uh, electrified or something like this. Um, so, so they've been, um, easing into this or working into this a bit. Um, I'm curious, uh, and, and definitely anyone who hasn't seen pictures they should uh, while well, listening to this, Google pictures of large, largest electric truck or something like this. Uh, but I'm curious, how does it work? Um, I'm sure there's all kinds of vehicles. Uh, are there any that are really, um, any significant types of vehicles in the industry that are Going fully electric, uh, there where there are it's already competitive to go fully electric, or is it a a lot of um, hybrid approaches are more competitive right now? Where you use the power initially from electric large electric motors. Some of them have yeah, four or more, or possibly more. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, what's how's that working?
1: Yeah, so so obviously the um, the issue like if you're going to go up a you know 35 percent gradient with a couple of hundred tons of of earth and rock, ready to be refined, um, you know, in, in the payload of a heavy truck like these. Um, obviously, the battery is going to be under some significant pressure, and that's the one thing a lot of a lot of folks have been worried about. Um, until maybe 2019, the EV batteries were not of sufficient performance to uh, to perform this type of thing. And, and even now, um, uh, you know, you can imagine that these types of mines. They're not in city centres, right? They're out in remote, rural locations where people. Unless you fly over in an aircraft, you don't realize how much mining goes on across the world. So these are in remote areas. Um, so currently in order to service the, the diesel trucks, um, they have tankers coming in and out all day long to refuel the vehicles. Okay, so what's happened in EV in particular, where Bayban and some of the other truck companies in China have been quite innovative, is they produce the ability to swap, hot swap the batteries. So they put battery swap um, uh, capabilities into the vehicle. And then you don't have the problem of having to sit around and wait for a charge because, you know, charging something like a passenger car, like a Tesla, um, you can do a fast charge in, you know, what is coming down to close to, um, you know, refueling a, refueling a, a vehicle with gasoline. Um, but you can't do that with these, these gigantic batteries that are powering these, these uh, you know, gargantuan gargantuan heavy trucks so so what they've come up with is a system where they have basically a bank that's charging the batteries at all times and then as the battery indicator gets below about 25 percent, they know they can't do another circuit of the mine so they pull in they swap the battery the battery's not completely completed which means it can be charged quicker so that that battery goes back into the charging bank and another one's swapped out and we've got some videos that we could you know potentially share with you guys to show you how it works and um the battery swapping process um is yeah. automated by the trucks mechanisms, so it can uh, it can be done in a matter of minutes.
0: Yeah, that would be great. And and I guess so. One thing is, you know, just the battery charge would go rather quickly with with so much uh, power needed. Um, the other thing is just um, yeah, I mean, the the electric motors that instant the, the torque would be really valuable starting up and uh, certain applications. But then yeah, very very quickly it would be. Uh, the, the the combined needs uh, of the system would be uh, probably too much for a full electric in, in most in many of these applications. Um, so I imagine there must be a bit of a hybrid approach going on, where the you know just like the, the fastest supercars.
1: Yeah, look in some ways it's migrating the way, and you will have seen recently the um, uh, you know Ford putting out the uh, the fourteen hundred horsepower SUV. I mean, you know that that's nearly fifty percent more than the Bugatti puts out, right? And how did they do that? They added extra electric motors, right? So I think that particular vehicle has seven in it. Some of these trucks have more than that. So that's another way they're dealing with it. Multiple batteries, multiple engines is giving them the torque from the get-go. Um, there is some hybrid solutions out there. Um, they're not proving as, as appealing to folks like Inner Mongolia who obviously have a regulatory environmental deadline. So, to, so their investment's more in the pure EV at this point. So it really is full
0: electric. Gigantic mining trucks, and uh, they just they get around the battery problem by having um, you know short distances, and then battery swaps, and just you know the the power and the and the and the full <laughs> the full potential of the electric drivetrains is used, and then the battery swapped out and used again. Yeah,
1: that's how. Yeah, that's essentially what they're doing, and this is really interesting because this is because these are often closed circuits, right? These trucks don't deviate very much from the from the route that they take. Um, you're seeing the full power of what is coming to automotive market from EV and non-EV, which is um, they're also starting autonomous vehicles here, so you don't have the need for a driver. You don't have a need for a driver because it's a little bit like a ballet that ensues when you go to one of these. It was incredible to see everything's timed to perfection so that these vehicles are coming in and out of the, the you know, the face entrance to the, uh, to the mine, um, at literally almost like military timing. And um, they're doing this to be as, because obviously they run 24 hours a day around the clock, so they're doing this to be as efficient as possible. And because of that, you could make use of uh, uh, autonomous driving in an incredibly efficient way as well. So, and one of the, one of the big advantages there is um, whenever you deal with heavy trucks, you get injuries. A lot of people don't know. You know, if you you look away from automotive, you look at military. You know, a lot of the a lot of the, um, uh, the deaths and things that you have when you send troops off to Afghanistan and Iraq and places are all done on the logistic side because you're dealing with such heavy equipment all the time. People have slip and fall injuries and things like that. So there's a couple of advantages there. One one which is you know not really part of the EV narrative, but it's uh, you know driver injuries and driver fatalities have dropped tremendously at the mines um, just by using the autonomous as, as well as um, switching over to EV for the obvious environmental benefits.
0: This is, this is fascinating, even more than I was hoping. It's really fascinating. And I think, you know, I assumed they were used for some application, but that um, there's still a heavy reliance on hybrid approaches. But, yeah, you you know, you point out when it's a very specific route when it's a closed loop when it's very you know short distances but moving heavy heavy amount, heavy stuff uh, as long as you have the parameters as long, as long as you know what you need and you have the system set up to to um, in this case as you point out swap the batteries that's all you need and I think that's something we sometimes forget especially as as drivers of cars you you know you think about all the weird scenarios you might need um, and you, you plan that out but when it's a very specific route or, or purpose you don't it's more it's easier uh, one of our writers uh, kyle field has been long a big proponent of getting electrification of garbage trucks and postal delivery uh, vehicles because uh you know you have clear routes you know that mean you need the range you need you, you know, can very you can tailor vehicles specifically to to what you need and do really well with, with that so it sounds like that's happening in mining uh, and even with the autonomy, which I had no idea about, um, it's, it's yeah, it's funny. I wouldn't have guessed the mining industry would be at the forefront of autonomy and uh, and electrification.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's not just you know mining industry. When you talk about closed circuit stuff, you think about things such as right. You're going to work with uh, Highway Patrol right now. Well, EV doesn't really suit them until the battery technology steps you know forward uh, a few more steps than it has now. Highway Patrol, what, what's he doing? Right. He sees someone go past him at 80, 90 miles an hour, he's got to floor it. And that's not good for an electric battery right now, right? Because he's going to run out of power quicker if he's pushing the vehicle hard. But then if you look at a cop in a, in a typical town, right, he doesn't typically move outside of his town border. That's a perfect use case for EV. Same with ambulances and others. Only the ones that do the long haul, whether shipping a patient from one hospital to a specialist hospital or something, would want to look at a hybrid until the battery technology improves. Otherwise, pretty much most of what goes on in, in city and suburban areas um, you know could, could benefit from EV and, and that's why we're you know we've got a big focus on those four closed circuits that I mentioned airports, seaports, steel mills and mining, because this is just a perfect play. And, and in terms of Inner Mongolia, you know, the reason they haven't done more mining and taken more advantage of their natural resources is because of the pollution. We move them over to E V quicker. That province becomes much richer because it can sell its mining rights and it can participate in the mining in a way that's advantageous for the uh, for the province's treasury revenues as well, and that's one of their big motivators here, why why they're so heavily focused on EP.
0: Yeah, this is uh, I mean it's really fascinating. I, I, we we should put more. Um... Work into uncovering this stuff and, and probably highlighting the potential when you start talking about the ambulances and uh, police vehicles and delivery vehicles I felt like my mind was like entering a candy store it was like oh my gosh think <laughs> of all the po- think of all the potential electrification you know on these you know relatively you know short driving you are returning off into your home base it's, uh, yeah it's really appealing so can I guess can you say, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about if there's more on the mining stuff. But you you mentioned your sort of four focal focal areas. Um, if you want to say a little more about how your how you how you're using these kind of clear parameters to to focus on on early electrification.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anywhere where you see a situation, I mean, we locked in on Inner Mongolia because literally the 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 first words out of their mouth was. You know, we went there with CATL, and the first thing that they were saying to us, and CATL is obviously a huge international battery maker based out of China. And the first thing out of their mouths was literally the CAL. Please don't ask. We can't give you more access to resources because of our environmental issues. And then when we the the, the narrative unfolded in the course of a three or four hour meeting that we had with the uh, uh, with the local government in Inner Mongolia, they understood that we were there to propose um, a solution to the to the environmental issue, as well as um, Uh, allowing them to, you know, potentially expand their mining activities. And, you know, they'd previously seen uh, CATL as a company lobbying to come in and get access to, you know, those minerals and things that go into the lithiums, you know, different things that go into into EV batteries. Um, But obviously they realized very quickly that we weren't just there asking for access again. Moreover, we were presenting them with a roadmap to – not only allow more mining to continue, but cut the pollution at the same time. So that was a very interesting dynamic that we, uh, I saw unfold that afternoon last year.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, the, the three biggest battery companies in the world, PV battery makers are, in the world are, are very clearly um, LG Chem Kettle or CATL. That's uh, yeah, South Korea and Panasonic Japan. And that's Panasonic is just basically because of its partnership with Tesla. So so Cattle and LG Chem have battery contracts with like dozens of automakers. So it, they, huge weight, but also huge weight, huge strength in China, of course, since they're a Chinese company. Um, Andrea here uh, on the back end of Clean Technica, she's, she's a good question. Uh, does the province uh, or China own the mines or is it private companies? And um, so you're talking about regulation coming from Inner Mongolia is this state regulations uh, or yeah who's, yeah what are the
1: yeah, so levels of the the answer to all of that is yes I mean with anything obviously it's complex um, there are state <laughs> there are there are state owned entities that are mining there as well as there are um, companies um, licenses in order to be able to mine within Inner Mongolia so there's there's a private sector doing it and there's also the government sector that are doing it. Um, the the overall mandate comes out of Beijing. It's it's uh, you know, it's a panoramic mandate for the entire Chinese uh, uh, country. Um, but there's also internally within Inner Mongolia, there's their own environmental and economic directives as well, which in this particular case are stronger than they are just out of Beijing. Because as I said, they've got this pristine environment, and they've got their thoroughbred horses. They've got the world's highest quality cashmere, and a lot of tourism that goes into. And people wanting to see Genghis Khan and, and Kublai Khan and all the kind of history that Mongolia was. So, um, so from that perspective, Inner Mongolia, you know, it, it has its own rules that were a little hard, a little more strict than, uh, than the rest of China, which was good. Um, but in terms of the activity, it's both uh, in the public and the private sector.
0: And uh, so, you know, when, when I think of battery makers, battery companies, um, you know, I also just I often think of, you know, they're supplying. Uh, vehicle-produced OEMs, um, not so much uh, pushing uh, development of, of cutting-edge, you know, innovative solutions uh, in terms of the vehicles, um, but it sounds, I mean, this is sort of what it sounds like, is that you, you and CATL together helps to push for uh, better better mining vehicle systems. How does that, how did that partnership come about, and, and how do you... Um, how did that sort of go from from beginning to, to that kind of pitch point
1: yeah so I think um, you know in terms of CATL they had two, two objectives right one is to you know sell product to help the conversion to EV to get the environmental challenges out of the way and two was to get access to the mines um, they used us as a conduit to um, to get those uh, get those conversations going because previously they'd been seen very much as a, an acquirer of the mines and minerals so adding to the problem right um, because obviously but not only do they produce EV batteries, but they produce batteries for um, combustion engine vehicles as well. So the perception from Inner Mongolia was perhaps that they were coming to us for more access to more uh, natural resources, which would which would naturally have been a no um, until they got their environmental issues under control. But we were able to um, set up through some connections that chairman has directly with the governor in, within Inner Mongolia, um, the right setting for the conversation. And then a significant group of us went from, CATLs and truck partners and from Idenomics and its MEG group. Uh, we went to Inner Mongolia a couple of times last year, and like I said, I was fortunate to be one of them when we got to see some of the mining activity and things as well for a few days. So um, we helped, we helped get the narrative going in terms of the EV aspects of it, and I think it was, uh, you know, an eye-opening conversation for, for everybody around the table.
0: Well, they seem to be very... Um yeah, they, they seem to be quickly expanding and, and growing and uh, it's fascinating just to, to see that linkage again. So I'm just curious, you know, I haven't been to a you know, I've been on the solar farms, wind farms, factories, haven't been to a mining operation yet. And I'm actually sort of working on trying to get to here in, in the U.S. Uh, for, for lithium. But um, I'm just curious from your personal perspective going to the, to the mining operation, was it did it feel like being on a different planet? Uh, can you sort of, you know, you mentioned Avatar. Can, can you mention just a little bit, like, what's it like being there and seeing that? And then also seeing the, the juxtaposition of these old... Uh, you know, these older diesel-powered trucks and this new wave of autonomous electric trucks.
1: Yeah, so they they gave you a hard hat and a mask when you arrived, and you didn't really understand why you're getting the mask because you're in a, you know, like I said, a very pristine natural area all around it. But as soon as you saw the smoke coming out the exhaust on these trucks, you understood exactly why you are wearing them. And like you said, it was like a moonscape. It's like something you see in Avatar or or other, you know, science fiction movies. I mean, the scale was so massive. Uh, and then you get an understanding that there's a whole industry there that you don't really, you know, understand a lot about how it works because it's, it's done away from the sight of the, of most people in, you know, in the public uh, view, but but incredible and very necessary as well. I mean, you know, what is driving, you know, industry is is a lot of the metals, minerals, and, and other natural resources that, that are that brought out of these mines. but um, just the, the vastness of the operation and, and the size of the trucks and the size of the mining operations was mind blowing.
0: Yeah, we, I, 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 this is really a key topic we're trying to dive into much more to become. Uh, we're you know we're scratching the surface of, and I, I feel like we want to become sort of experts, really understand this industry. It's um, as as I think you're hinting and, and discussed recently it's like everybody wants cleaned cars, solar panels, wind turbines. um, But then when it comes to expanding or, or, uh, or improving mining operations, no one wants to touch mining and, and the sort of the deeper side of how you get everything for these for these industries. So it's um, I think it's something we want to help demystify and also learn about and explore. But uh, I, you know, you, you focus on the Inner Mongolia story, really. I, I, you know, stuff that I didn't realize was happening already with autonomous uh, trucks there. Can you just speak a little bit, like, um, put that in the perspective of the global? industry or industries I guess it's, it's multiple industries in mining um, and sort of like what's the potential globally to bring that even just that one solution um, to more
1: places? Yeah so we, we unfortunately because of COVID-19 ourselves and CATL were supposed to uh, present at an EV mining conference in Stockholm in, in late March but obviously they got cancelled. Um, it's supposed to be happening at the end of the year but there is, a, there is an increased awareness um, certainly there are some electric vehicle activities in mining in uh, Canada at this time. Um, so, um, but, but I think in a lot of cases, you know, there's going to be a lot of natural resource um, uh, rich countries like, uh, you know, the DRC, uh, Demo- Democratic Republic of Congo and others, I think they're going to be a little more of a difficult challenge. So uh, we're going to start to educate the, um, the developed world first, and then we'll start moving through to the, to the, to the you know, developing countries thereafter. But,
0: uh, in that, in other markets, like uh, one of the challenges is just that um, once you have a vehicle, you use it, uh, and, and you don't. Uh, it takes a while before you're upgrading your fleet. Um, how much of this is an issue in in the mining industry? How is there? How, how long do vehicles typically get used for? I mean, they're massive, so they're huge investments, uh, and so what's the kind of potential for? for switching to EVs in that context?
1: Yeah, I'd say um, I'd say that typically um, they've got these are giant trucks and there's a lot of moving parts in them, so they do break down. But I think they've pretty much got it down to an art like you would consider like a New York cab, right? So they've been tick, tick, um, you know, running these things pretty much into the ground. So they say there's a seven-year lifespan, but we saw trucks there that were fourteen, fifteen 15 years of age. Um, doing that tremendous amount of work. And I think they've got it to the point where, you know, they know exactly which parts to snap off and snap on when, when they're seeing some lack of performance in the vehicle. Um, it's going to take the the consideration of the environmental, I think, to to make those changes um, because otherwise I, I don't think there's going to be, you know, those trucks are bulletproof every bit as much as those Ford made, um, you know, uh, yellow cabs you see in new york they 're supposed to run heavy they 're supposed to run a lot of miles so so um, the natural incentive for the guys to move it over is going to come through the uh, the rebates and incentives that they get at the province and national level and of course you know any any what can happen in particularly in Inner Mongolia is um, they can mandate to expand their mining, and the new mines have to use uh, e v trucks only so as yeah, they, that's what the thing
0: it has to be sort of mandate. I'm sure it would help, but but it seems like mandates would be more necessary, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, and in, in the Mongolia's um, particular instance, you know, they have held back expanding the mining activity because of the pollution. So any new mines or any expansion to mines that they do, um, they're gonna the narrative from them is going to be insistent on EV activity. So
0: and, and is that similar wanna, in places like Canada, elsewhere where there's big mining activities? Are there also? Are they also facing limits like that, or is this uh, not so common?
1: It, it's not so common right now, but I think there's becoming more awareness around it, and it'll take some lobbying. I mean, obviously, on the one side, you've got the environmental lobby. On the other side, you've got, you know, big oil and big automotive, which are, you know, significant uh, voices in the, in the political scene. So um, it'll take a little bit of time. Um, I think those areas that are more pristine and more uh, interested in listening at this point and definitely in the developed countries... Uh, Australia, Canada, um, China showing a lot of interest in these areas, um, other you know natural resource heavy places such as you know Indonesia, democratic Republic of Congo and others, um, you know Kazakhstan, um, less so because they're developing countries and they're, they're much more price conscious than they are environmentally conscious unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we need those big. We need big big lobbyists from big companies like CAtl and and others on our side. Uh, You know, it's been a a long uphill battle, Uh, and I, you know, we've been talking about them. Just note that they have sponsored stuff on Clean Tech before as well, but we cover them a lot in general because they're they're um big player.
1: But yeah, I mean, it 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 will get easier, Zachary. Um, The big problem at the moment is it's very easy to find reasonably priced used equipment in the in the diesel space for the trucks there are there is no used market right now for the ev trucks because they're all brand new and they're just great right. the market and i think that's where you're going to see the tipping point once so- you know, the developing countries can buy a truck that's perhaps been used elsewhere but comes at the right price point for them and you know that maybe they take a lesser battery than the catl would produce maybe they take a you know a regional variation that, that does a little less uh, performance performance but, but gets them what they need then that way maybe they start to get into the EV a little quicker as well.
0: Right. And so, so what companies are producing these uh, giant electric trucks now? And what companies also are, are working on the... I mean, is it the same companies doing the autonomy or, or they have partners doing the autonomy
1: who are worth noting? Typically, the, the partners are, are, are... The autonomous is coming in from partners, so they're all regional-based in China, of course. So, I know, we're seeing Beiban. Um, they call themselves. Um, uh, I, I believe they make for Benz in uh, in China, so they're a well established. Uh, XCMG is another one. Um, there's several leading brands out there right now that are that are tackling this problem, and they've all got heavy um, state subsidised investment to try and reach those environmental goals. So they can be, a little, all, gre- can be a little more aggressive than a than a regular automotive company, but because some of it's subsidised, it's not all R and D. They're all Chinese companies, brands. Or, uh, the ones that we're working with in, in China, are right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's like with buses,
0: like there, there's an electric bus revolution happening in China that almost nobody knew about and outside there's almost nothing and uh, it's taken a long time for the world to try to start to uh, get rolling uh, where, where China was with electric buses um, years ago. Uh, well, so I guess um, just any final thought, anything we didn't discuss that you had on your mind um, regarding this topic?
1: No, I think it's uh, you know I think mining in itself is not necessarily an environmentally friendly um, pursuit, right? You're ripping the guts out of the planet to, to get what you can out of the uh, the earth and the rock that you excavate. So, I think finding an environmentally friendly way to do that is not adding to the problem further. And I think that's where EV has a really compelling play.
0: And you have to uh, next time. <laughs> next time you get invited to go to a visit a mine or something, you have to make sure to let me know so <laughs> Clean Technica can possibly come along and uh, get some some new coverage.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, we we uh, I'll extend that invitation to you now, Zachary. It'd be our pleasure <laughs> to do so um, because I think it it, it helps um, evangelize EV in these types of environmentally sensitive areas. So. Um, the, the, the question for us is when can we travel again? I haven't been able to travel to China since, uh, since December. So I've been stuck in the New York area for the yeah. last six months, uh, except yeah, to, I really... one trip to California and back. And then I had to, I had to quarantine for two weeks when I got back. So, um, uh, yeah. I, I I'd, I'd love to take you and I'd love to get over there myself as well. So.
0: Yeah. I barely make it to the store uh, right now, but, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, in the future and, uh, I mean, this is honestly, like I said, a topic we really are really interested in exploring further. We recently interviewed CEO of Northvolt, Peter Carlson. We've interviewed some uh, top consultants in the industry. So we're diving into this more. I'm just uh, a little ha- I'm happy and a little um, embarrassed that you're quite ahead of us in this uh, experience. No, no, I'm, I'm very happy to to. to know your leadership in this in this side of things and uh, we'll look forward to continuing to learn together and um and find out more from from what you guys are working on uh in china and, and elsewhere so thank yeah, you look, for- the, the,
1: yeah this is important environmental issue so we're you know we're happy to share the love we, we have a joint presentation ourselves in catl that we will be unveiling with all the facts and the and the kind of uh, you know um results that we got from the from the proof of concept that we did in those mines in Inner Mongolia. So that'll be out there for the general public once we get that uh, that event in Sweden done in the fall. If it gets delayed again, I think we'll find a way to do it virtually so we can release the information for, for the greater good. Yeah.
0: yeah, it seems like at this point, uh, everything, a lot that was postponed is either going to have to switch to virtual or, um, yeah. But well, thank you very much for the insight. Uh, I know you're sending over pictures and videos we can look at as well, um, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to returning to, to this topic as it moves along. Uh, thank you.
1: Great, well, thank you so much, Zachary. Good to be on.
0: And everyone listening, uh, check in next time to get your electric fix. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more cleantech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund a cleantech talk.